So, you know, when you have friends who wrote a book and they pressure you to come on your podcast, that's like super annoying, right? Well, that's not what happened with Ravin Kumar, Osvaldo Martin, and Junpeng Lao. I was the one who suggested doing a special episode about their new book, Bayesian Modeling and Computation in Python. And, well, since they cannot say no to my soothing French accent, well, they didn't say no. <laughs> and all of them were on the podcast already, so I refer you to their solo episode for background on their background, aka a backgroundception. But very fast, Junpeng is a data scientist at Google, living in Zurich, Switzerland. Previously, he was a postdoc in psychology and cognitive neuroscience. And his current obsessions are time series and state space models. Osvaldo is a researcher at CONICET in Argentina and at the Department of Computer Science from Alto University in Finland. He is especially motivated by the development and implementation of software tools for Bayesian statistics and probabilistic modeling. And that's very weird for an Argentinian, but he's not that much into football. Ravin is a data scientist at Google, living in Los Angeles. Previously, he worked at Sweetgreen and SpaceX, and he became interested in Bayesian statistics when trying to quantify uncertainty in operations. And he's especially interested in decision science in business settings. So you'll make your own opinion, but I like their book because it uses a hands-on approach. It focuses on the practice of the applied statistics, and you get to see how to use diverse libraries like PyMC, TensorFlow Probability, RVs, Bambi, and so on. You'll see what I'm talking about in this episode. And to top it off, the book is fully available online at BayesianComputationBook.com. If you want a physical copy because you love those guys and want to support them, well, listen carefully to the episode because in it, you will hear a special promo code that you can enter at checkout on CRC's website to get a 20% discount. So I'll let you listen to the episode. And of course, if you are a patron of the show, as usual, we will do a random sampling of the patrons who are interested and give you a free copy delivered to your home of the book. So yeah, if you are interested, well, become a patron. If you are already, first, thank you very much. And as usual, we will do that small contest in the LBS Slack channel. This is Learning Bayesian Statistics, episode 58, recorded January 14, 2022. Welcome to Learning Bayesian Statistics, a fortnightly podcast on Bayesian inference, the methods, the projects, and the people who make it possible. I'm your host, Alex Andorra. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Andorra, like the country, and reach a true Bayesian state of mind by visiting learnbayesstats.com. That's learnbayesstats.com. Do you want to support the podcast and unlock exclusive Bayesian swag at the same time? Then you can visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash learnbayesstats. Starting at 3 euros, you can get various benefits like the private MBS Slack channel, early access to special episodes, selecting questions for episodes, or even coming on the show. You'll get more details at patreon.com slash learnbayesstats. Thanks a lot, folks. I'm very grateful for any support you can bring. Let me 
me show you how to be a good breezy and change your predictions after taking information in. And if you're thinking I'll be less than amazing, let's adjust those expectations. Wes Abazian is someone who cares about evidence and doesn't jump to assumptions based on intuitions and prejudice. Abazian makes predictions on the best available info and adjusts the probability because every belief is provisional. And when I kick a flow, mostly I'm watching eyes widen, maybe because my likeness lowers expectations of tight rhyming. How would I know unless I'm rhyming in front of a bunch of blind men dropping placebo controlled science like I'm Richard Feynman? Hello, my dear Bayesian folks. Yes, my favorite segment of the show is up again. Thanking my brand new supporters on Patreon, especially those in the full posterior tier or higher. This time, I am talking about the mysterious Fergal M and the one and only Mason Yar. Thanks a lot, folks. This really makes a huge difference for your podcast. And may the Bayesian force be with you. Okay, now let's listen to Ravin, Osvaldo, and John Payne fighting on whether their book is the best one in the galaxy or just in the world. Junpeng Lao, Osvaldo Martin, Ravin Kumar, welcome back to Learning Bayesian Statistics. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think Junpeng is your third appearance, right? First time on a solo episode, second time on a matchmaking dinner, and now again. So yeah, I think I, you're going to start qualifying <laughs> as co-host. <laughs> and also, I have to say that it's linearly increasing every time I participate. So next time, it's going to be four. Not sure who are the, the other three, but yeah, be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> you are good. Yeah. In case listeners were wondering, Junpeng is a really, really good modeler. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm super happy to have you all back on the show. First, because... You are fun people, but also you have a book out together. And I want to do that before I forget. Do want to point out that you made the book fully available at BayesianComputationBook.com. The link will be in the show notes, of course. But if listeners want a physical version of the book, they can go to CRC website and enter the code FMQ13 at checkout for a 20% discount. So definitely do that. And then when you go traveling the world, I don't know, in Europe and America, you can get that book dedicated. So that'd be nice, right? Uh, okay, so now let's start. So you've already all three been there. So people know about your background. So I shake things up a bit. And I want you to tell us something that listeners don't know about you. That can be statistics related, but that can also be, you know, one of your hidden talents. Who wants to start? Mm -hmm. You know you are going to have to answer anyways. So <laughs> <laughs> well, alphabetic le letter of the Perfect. last name. So that means, that means Chupel and Chupel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll start. Something people don't know about me. Oh, I actually started a pretty fun project. So I started to co-supervise a PhD student in cosmologies. And it's currently based in Paris at CNRS. So it's a research lab institute, um, kind of under the French, French government fundings. And yeah. Nice. Yeah. That sounds interesting. So yeah, as soon as I leave France, you start working with French people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a bit hurtful. <laughs> you should go back to do a PhD. And <laughs> yeah, sure. That's, that sounds like fun. I heard those stuff are easy and fast. <laughs> Osvaldo, 
coaster next in line. Yeah, I don't like roller coasters. <laughs> yeah, or, or adrenaline in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a, a little bit embarrassing, but... but. <laughs> Thank you. No, that, I want you to know it's a safe space here, so... I know. I was just going to suggest we all go bungee jumping, but I guess we need to find some other activities. Yeah. I can take the picture if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And uh, Ravine. I'm glad Osvaldo did a good one. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Professional that's true. Like, Very boring. Mine is uh, English as my second language. So I don't think anyone on this podcast speaks English as their first language. Yeah, but I think people noticed it's not your first language. <laughs> <laughs> the, the accent is unmistakable. I think knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. Thanks. Uh, perfect. So I like that question. Maybe I'll, I'll replace <laughs> replace the background by that one. It's much more fun. And do you remember how how the three of you met? I guess it's not at the same time, right? So do you guys remember when you first when you first encountered each other? So probably online, right? Yeah, definitely online and in over PyMC. And I think I met Oswaldo first and we were discussing something about SMC probably. Already? Oh, no, I, I think uh, we, we have some interaction, kind of like on and off, a uh, really light touch interaction. And Oswaldo asked me to review his book, no, uh, to help the Chinese translation of his book of his first book and that's how we kind of like become friends and officially kind of like meet yeah that, that's right I, I, yeah i didn't remember that but that that's right i think the first time <laughs> <laughs> no because for me the, the first impression uh, with jumping was that he would start contributing uh, to the documentation of pymt so mm -hmm. i start seeing that he was like from zero to to one hundred in the with the documentation, it's like doing doing a lot. And, and I think Ramin, you also start in that way, right? I was gonna say I know I, I met Junpeng early because oh. he helped me with the shape issue. Oh, of course, it was like yeah. one of my first contributions was whether it was ten scalar or ten comma. So the, the shape of a of a single value return, and then Osvaldo, I think because I also started contributing to RVs the same time. Same time frame, and so mm -hmm. I joined the RV Slack as well. Nice, yeah, uh, that's cool. I hope it makes you all a bit nostalgic. So, yeah, before we we dive into the book, I have a statistics questions for you, which is, I think we all know that the standard deviation of a book writing experience is, can be very large. <laughs> so, I'm wondering which distribution <laughs> do you think it's coming from? Is it very wide stuff or? Well, definitely for me, a couchy because um, <laughs> someday I'm like writing and then sudden, and then I would have like super long wait time until next time there's any writing appear. <laughs> yeah. My advice here is when you sign a book contract, double check your calendar, if there's going to be a global <laughs> pandemic in the next three months and then, and then don't start the book. So. For us, we signed the book contract October 2019. And I think there were, for those of us who had signed, we were like, oh, things will be great. Our lives are planned out, things like that. And come February, <laughs> a very different experience from what we expected. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Probably if you're going to write a book, you need to write half the book before signing the contract. So you have some buffer. I see. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for all that good advice. <laughs> I think listeners will, will will take that into account next time they write a book. 
So, and actually, so let's talk about the book now because I have a, <laughs> a lot of questions for you. So the book is called Bayesian Modeling and Computation in Python. So classic question, general question, but why did you want to write this book in the first place and who is it written for? People still have trouble to do Bayesian statistics, even when Bayesian statistics is conceptually super simple. When you actually try to do some modeling, you're going to face problems. And I think we, uh, by contributing to this libraries and our own, our own experience working on, on probabilistic modeling, uh, you start to see some patterns of where people have troubles, where are some blockers um, and stuff like that. So I think we say, okay, maybe we can try to put that into a book and to help people. And we have this idea that uh, there is generally books, examples are like a, or very simple, so very introductory level, or they just jump into something that is very theoretical, very advanced. You need a degree in statistics, something like that to, to understand. There is no middle ground. So we try to cover or, or at least start covering that middle ground. Mm -hmm. Robin, you agree? <laughs> yeah, I think you summarize it uh, almost perf too perfect. I guess for me, it's in a way similar experience is that I personally, sometimes I need to look up some stuff and I always feel like, hmm, I'm starting to spend a lot of time looking up the same times. Maybe I, this time I figured it out, maybe I should write it down. And it does fit into this pattern that the easy stuff you for, I mean, we as a kind of patient pra modeling practitioners, we kind of like have those things know, and then sometimes we account some more complicated stuff, then we always need to look it up. And for me, it's really like after this middle ground and have a book that write down this, these things and present it in a coherent way, I think is really valuable for me and a great experience to kind of like have my own knowledge being kind of like compiled it together as well. I think for me, if you look at the similar books in the, and now we're, we got into the red series from CRC, you have Bayesian data analysis, right? And as the title implies, that book really will teach you about Bayesian data analysis if you sit down and you read the whole thing. I don't think even Gelman or Eki would disagree or any of the other authors. It very much goes into the theory and all the way down to like what it takes to analyze data with Bayesian statistics. Then on the other end, you have statistical rethinking. And like the title says, the book largely from Richard largely teach you how to like rethink your knowledge in statistics, right? So the focus is on fundamentals of of probability intuition and then working your way up through the golems. And I think all three of us saw this gap where there was a book missing on computation. It was focused largely on the computational details of modern Bayes theorem. And so we thought there was a gap and the publisher thought there was a gap as well. And that's why we were able to fill the, write that. Yeah, and we use Python. It's the, I think it's the first one in the REST series, or at least um, I'm not sure there was other ones that is kind of have a similar focus in terms of toolings. Yeah, actually one, one thing that CRC were, were interested in was a, a, a Python book. Because they, mm -hmm. they want to, to increase the, the number yeah. of Python, Python and, coverage. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say is in our book, we took an intentional focus not to just use PyMC. So even though all of us here are PyMC devs, with the computation focus, right, the focus wasn't on just Stan or, or TFP or PyMC or any one PPL. We wanted to include more than just one. And in fact, we wanted to include even more than yeah. what we had included in the book. Like so Excel? In the second edition, we're... 
Did you join Microsoft yeah. Excel? <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, win, but <laughs> I'm, d- I'm disappointed. Well, and also, uh, yeah, when I put out that, <laughs> yeah, at, at least LibreOffice, you know. Mm-hmm. See, yeah. yeah, and I want to point out that this book is not for beginners, right? It's already for a bit more advanced on the learning curve. I think the first few chapter is quite still quite approachable. Uh, mm-hmm. We try to uh, start easy, but the, it, it, you're right. In, I guess after the first few chapter, there was a, a little bit of a jump that you re- really kind of like try to present a little bit more in terms of a bit more advanced topics. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it depends a lot on the on the background of, of the reader, but it's not a book. If it's the first time you're going to, to learn patient statistics, probably not a very good book for you. But for example, if you have some training, previous training in statistics, but not in patient statistics, probably it's easy to use this book of the, the first patient statistics. But it's only for people that already have some knowledge of, of the statistical model. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's also an interesting part of the book is that uh, since it's not it's not supposed to be the first book you read about patient sets, then you get into intermediate or advanced level topics more deeply in into the book, and there is not a lot of resources about those topics yet, and we'll we'll go back to that in a moment. But first, I'd like to ask you what the main mistakes or difficulties you notice people having when they are at that stage of their learning curve. So for me, it's, we have the, you know, the Bayesian open source community where we have tons of packages, right? We have, we have diagnostic packages, we have PPLs, we have all of this. And I think there's a big leap from going like, here's Bayes theorem with four terms and really only three of them matter and the mathematical neatness of it. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into this world where there's rank plots and trace plots and ECDF and, and loop hit and a workflow and, graphs and it's hard to understand how to put these all together. So for me, that was one big friction point. It's like, well, base term is so easy. It's just these four terms. When I go and try and apply it, what are all these other things that these people are mm. talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. For me, the, the, the most difficult part at, at every level, this approach of actually doing modeling. So, so you have to actually build a model and that implies that you have to check your model and you have to compare models and you have to try more than one model. That modeling approach is, is difficult. And it's not it's not something that is closely something difficult in patient statistics. It's difficult every time you're going to build a model, whatever tool you're going to, to use. And also, even if you are you have some training in a statistic, when you move to this modeling, there is a shift in the way you think problems. And that shift is not always that easy. I mean, it is, for me, it's the most interesting part of Bayesian statistics, but not always is that easy. I mean, never is easy to anyone, even for advanced, for people that have been doing Bayesian statistics for years. I think they keep coming back and back to these ideas of modeling and how can, can I improve this Bayesian workflow that now we are discussing a little bit more. So, yeah, I think that's... That's the main issue. One of the things that I certainly struggle a lot with in the beginning is how to debug your models. Basically, if you're coming from nice classical statistics, you just click a few buttons and it rarely anything goes wrong. And Bayesian statistics by default, it gives you lots of flexibility. But if you're just starting reading some tutorial, you run it, it's doing great. And then you plug in your data and nothing works. Like why? There are so many <laughs> things that could go wrong. And for example, you can twist the prior parameter. Maybe you need some scaling. Maybe you need to format the 
you need to use a different livelihood. There was a lot more kind of like things that you can do. But in the beginning, there were just so many combinations that you can try. And it's really difficult to know that what is the right approach. And I think in the, in, in, in the book, we did make some emphasis on, okay, we actually present you to you this model like this. It does, it does not work. And this is how we fixed it. I think it's a, we certainly take a kind of good step to start doing this, but I personally still think it's not enough because it's kind of like, okay, there's still quite a few different things that you can try, but that also does not work. But there's this also kind of like forking path of analysis and fixing your model. And it's usually quite difficult to present it in a way that, okay, this is how systematically I might uh, debug a model or improve my model. Yeah, I completely get that. I mean, it's also about like it's, there is a part of me that thinks like it's always, there is always going to be that part, you know, like kind of the artistic part of modeling, basically, where you have that thing where debugging a model is actually like not deterministic and you cannot have these deterministic paths that you always are going to take. There is always a, a bit of creativity and imagination involved. And I, always, I keep saying that to people who say that, you know, think that statistics and so on is not a creative endeavor. It's very much a creative endeavor to be at, at least a statistical modeler. If as for like thinking about the things another way, looking at things from another angle, trying new techniques and so on. So that part is very very creative and artistic, and that's also the problem. <laughs> it's that then it's super hard to say, to tell people, in that case, you do that, in that case, you do that. But you're right that like most of the time, there is a deterministic path that you can follow at least at the beginning and that you can prompt you know, with some questions and there, you can take it from there. So I like that, I like that idea. And, and you have that in particular with the chapter about the, the workflow, right? where this, this is the idea of the, of the Bayesian workflow that, that you're trying to develop. So now I want you to tell us what are the main skills that you try to instill in readers through the book? Like, what do you think would be, would qualify as, I've done a good job here, listeners have integrated those skills that I wanted them to integrate. Like, what are the key skills you think that you want them to take out from Facebook? Of workflow, as you, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably we have like at least two levels of, of stuff. <laughs> One stuff is like uh, this kind of uh, models. So you have linear models or splines or time series. So you learn something about a model and that's a kind of template that you can, when you have a problem that you want to solve, you can, I can use, or I can start at least from this template so you learn models and the other part i think or i hope at least is the the, the Bayesian workflow part the part of okay how how i can improve my model how can i check that things go right or wrong or that that kind of thing but i I think it was i mean it's a little bit of difficult to do that in a book because books are not very (laughs) interactive (laughs) but (laughs) at least we try to do it so i want to add two more levels of that one is we did do our best to include a lot of theory. So the appendix, for instance, does have the theoretical underpinnings for all this stuff. And then the other is the other level I put below there is tools. So in this book, we put a lot of figures and tables and, and all that to show you that, like I said before, here's a rank plot and here's what this tool does in this particular context. 
Here's a posterior predictive tool from RVs. Here's what that does, for instance. So folks can see all of that. We, I mean, we've took a lot of effort to put a lot of color figures in too. This isn't new technology for a book, but like as Valdo said, we also, we were challenged because yeah, a book is not very interactive. So that's why a lot of the, the code has been open sourced online as well. So folks can go run the code and try it. And, and like as Valdo said, use those models and sort of bring them into their own context and try it on their own workflows. Yeah. Okay. Interestingly, you all three mentioned uh, very practical skills. Mm -hmm. None of you said, uh, oh yeah, I want people to be able to do a spline regression model. It's like it's like very both practical and a bit more general, which I think is a, also a good uh, illustration of what you you actually do in the book, which is, as you said, much more practice-oriented than theory-heavy. Yeah, right. I don't know. Every time we have, we include some mathematical expression it's not because we want to put a lot of theory or discussion about the theory, because we, we want to say, okay, this is going to help you understand something that is practical. And the same as Ryan said with, with, with the tools. Okay, so, I don't know, yeah, but the, the focus of the book is really very practical. Yeah, and the math is, we all, always try to use codes to, to demonstrate how the math actually mm -hmm. looks like and how you use the math to do computation as well. Yeah, we, we try to have this, uh, yeah, for example, in the first chapter, we have this figure that explains the prior, the prior predictive distribution, the posterior, the posterior predictive distribution. So you can see that the figure is, you can have the code to generate that figure to compute those, those distributions, and you, you have the, the mathematical expression for that. So we hope that people can approach the same concept for these different complementary sites. And in, and in that way, actually incorporate that knowledge. Yeah, I think that clearly shows in the in the book, in case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about you guys, like as the authors, what was the main difficulty you encountered with this book? And what did you learn from that? That can be on the process of writing, but that can also be something statistics. You know, you were working on, on that kind of model and you learned something about that, about splines, for instance, or parts or SMC that you didn't know before and that helped you teach that better? An easier question. <laughs> difficulties did we not yeah, I know. Writing this but moment. I'm not here to ask the easy questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's in, in some, some parts it's a little bit early to answer that question because I really want to have some feedback from the readers because yeah, that's going to tell us if we actually learn <laughs> something in the process of, of writing the, the book because we internally I think we, we have a uh, we have a lot of discussion that's some fun thing about having co-authors and not writing a book just uh, one person writing a book yeah uh, so we have this discussion of, of best approach to explain stuff or or even I don't know when reviewing some part that other author wrote it's like okay no I, I, I better to do this better do that and and in that process we of course learned both statistics and how to write in general but i still have this feeling that i'm not sure if we have done what we want <laughs> <laughs> so i have a the same sentiment as well yeah. the prior update <laughs> process is still in it over two years two years long so with open source which we're all a part of right you put a pr up and within like a, a day or at least a week you'll have you get feedback and you can quickly iterate through and get things going we did have plenty of really nice reviewers in the book. So I actually do want to say that they wanted, we really do want to thank everybody that took the time to, to read our book. And they're all, there's too many to list off and verbally right now, but they're all in the acknowledgement. So these folks, 
did give us a lot of good feedback and honest feedback that helped us understand where we could refine things. And we rewrote large sections of the book and rearranged the chapters and all that. But like as Valdo said, the true test is going to be whether the listeners of this podcast who pick up this book and read it or the others who read it get something out of it. And we're still waiting mm. to see. I actually want to be more specific on what Lavin was saying on thanking our reviewers. I think one of the reviewers that we particularly super thankful of is Kevin Murphy. And he, he's like a huge hero for us in terms of probabilistic machine learning, probabilistic programming. And he's actually one of the reviewers that read the book end to end at the kind of like the first first draft in a way that every chapter is together. And he didn't say that he don't, doesn't like it, but he does give us a lot of great feedbacks in terms of how to present. And initially we have a much more different approach in terms of, how, for example, how we distribute the, the codes because we mainly compare, well, mainly using PyMC and TensorFlow probability in the book. And initially they are in a much separate kind of like bounded to chapters weight and it was quite difficult to kind of read and he pointed that out really specifically and we were like oh no that's he's so right and we basically threw some scrambling and tried to kind of like adding more chapters comparisons to make it flow a little bit better so i do think that we adjust his points and i think that the resulting book is much better than what we have initially but i have it together but yeah, that process was quite difficult because we were like, oh, okay, now it's done. We just like live reviews, but then suddenly you need to do a lot of rewrites. And I guess uh, related to that, a second thing that I personally find a, a difficult is that we write a book over two years and there's a lot of movement and changes in open source world as well. So we all know that PyMC has like a lot of change in terms of backends, updates of APIs, same for TensorFlow probabilities. And even now, after the book is published, there were a lot of new kind of new release. And we, we were kind of like constantly asking, okay, should we start to adapt more of the code to the new styles? So yeah, so those things are, are quite challenging. Yeah, I can guess that. <laughs> I'd like to dive a bit more in detail in, in, in statistics topics because there are at least three topics in your book that I have not seen a lot in Bayesian resources. And these are splines, time series, and Bayesian additive regression trees, uh, which at time have a really nice acronym, which is BARTS. That's really good because usually in statistics, we are really bad at naming things, you know, stuff like non-centered parameterization. <laughs> Definitely super confusing. Or negative binomial, Instead of gamma Poisson, that's <laughs> big fights, stuff like that. But here, Bart, it's 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 really good. So, anyways, I, I actually <laughs> want to start with the other two. <laughs> so, can you explain to listeners what splines are and how they are related to time series? Okay, so, <laughs> Zima, I, I have to start. <laughs> yeah. I think Osvaldo, you wrote that chapter, right? <laughs> I wrote the spline chapter, yeah. The, the idea of the spline is that you want to fit something that is more flexible than uh, a line, <laughs> because uh, functions are complex in reality, in the real world, really. <laughs> so you can say, okay, I'm going to fit this polynomial, high-order polynomial, because eventually with a high-order polynomial, you can fit whatever you want. Then you find that this is a very bad idea. 
uh, it's not going to generalize very well, etc., etc. So the splice is like a compromise, and what it's when using the splice, what you are doing is you are using a polynomial to fit your data, but you are using a polynomial locally, in a sense. So you're, you're fitting pieces of polynomials, and you add some restrictions, like the order of the polynomial and how this polynomial has to, to meet uh, each other at the, at the knots, at the, the, the points. You can control this flexibility in a way. What you get is this, this is spline, and you get this very flexible way of fitting. Another way of thinking is that splines is like is just one way of uh, expanding the feature space. That is basically taking your data and generating fake data from your data in such a way, in a clever way, that that allows this flexible fit. And they are so and splines work locally, right? Like you've got you've got some knots. Yeah, in, in, in order to define this, this splines, you need to define knots. These knots are, with this knot, you, in, in, a, in a sense, you are putting limits to these local polynomials. And also, the, so with the, this knot, you are also controlling the flexibility of your model. That's actually one problem with splines, you know, that you have to somehow say, OK, I'm going to put this knot here, here, and here, because based on, on that, is uh, you, you're going to change your, your model. So there are some approach to say, okay, maybe I'm going to use more nodes that uh, the number of nodes that I really need and then regularize the, those nodes or, or other approaches to, to, to try to find more dynamically where to put the nodes and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's a choice. You have to make a modeling choice and, and you have to test. It's a bit like it's a, it's a bit like when you use GPs and you have to fix the length scale, for instance, or... The yeah, 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 and actually, the Gaussian processes and explains are very deeply connected. Mm. Well, everything is connected with the Gaussian processes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it feels, it feels like it. I, I would not be surprised, you know, if if one day we learn that uh, I don't know, something completely unrelated, <laughs> apparently, to Gaussian processes is actually related to that. So yeah, so you've got in the book, it's really well, it's really well written and also illustrated, like these different knots where you have the, the locally the, the that spline is active and then that, that other spline takes over and then that other spline. So I encourage listeners to if who are interested to to read that chapter because it will be much easier to understand. Yeah it's going to be much much more better <laughs> than my explanation. <laughs> my verbal explanation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good that plays as a teaser. <laughs> and that's why right it's related to time series because then you can place some nodes on your time series, and then you use those nodes with different splines, which are active from one part of the time series to another, and that way you can model the time series that way. Yeah, you can certainly use spline to model time series, in especially the trend, uh, the trend of the time series. So, in the time series chapter, we have the general additive model, which kind of like mm -hmm. super closely related to spline because you can use uh, some base functions that, um, that other than spline as well in the additive models. But I mm -hmm. guess for us, the time series chapter, we try to focus more on state-based model. So in the idea is not, so we don't work with like regression anymore because um, spline is still really much a regression that you have some base functions that you have some coefficients. But um, uh, we like the idea of presenting time series as state-based model because we think that each time step, 
you have some kind of previous latent state, and then those are evolving. And then you have observations out of those latent things that you cannot really observe. And not surprisingly, they are also in the Gaussian case, they are also closely related to Gaussian process. So they're all kind of like big happy family altogether. Everything, <laughs> yeah, everything leads to GPs. Yeah, so definitely I love that chapter. And also why, no, not why, but what would you say are the strengths and the weaknesses of spines? So like, when would you like to use that? And when would you maybe look at something else because spines are not, are not appropriate in that case or for that purpose? Yeah, one of the things is, is that you have this very flexible model one big issue is this issue of the knots. So you have to be a little bit careful with that. Also, there are some restrictions if, when you move to higher dimensions. There, mm -hmm. are, there are actually some ways of, of this, uh, generalizing these splines to higher dimensions. We not we not deal with that in the, in the book, but there are some ways because when, when you move to two or more dimensions, you, you also want that this piece match together when, when they find this locally things they are smooth so when you transition from one local fit to the next everything goes smooth so there are ways, ways to generalize that to, to higher dimensions but it can be a little bit tricky i remember in the book you wrote somewhere that also doing predictions with splines is um, is can be very hard yeah but doing predictions can be very hard. <laughs> no i mean <laughs> No, but, so? but yeah, I mean, one nice thing about linear models is they are super simple, right? Mm -hmm. You have few parameters, so if you have something that approximately behaves like a, a, like a line or like hyperplane or something like that, you, you have a lot of a lot, a lot of nice features. Every time when you, you go out and uh, to move on to do something more complex, you have to be a little bit more careful of what, what happens outside the, the domain that you actually fit. Yeah, super important. And, and then related to GPs, I was working on a model recently using GPs and doing forecasting. Clearly, priors are very important. <laughs> yeah, at least uh, in general, people with using GPs, they have to, you, you have this prior that if you are uh, away from your data, you are just you start something from the prior, prior basically. So, yeah. so at least you go you go down in a way. You are not going to have yeah. some crazy behavior. Yeah, and that's yeah, sometimes it's that... nice. Yeah, exactly, because GPs are so sensitive to prior choices that it's actually a good thing. Because when the prior is really bad, the GP tells you that like very fast. The predictions <laughs> are really, really bad, or the in, or and or the inference is terrible. Mm -hmm. So at least you know that you know the GPs are very um, demanding objects. Yeah, I guess it's like it's really the you know Uncle Ben sentence, right? Like with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, yeah GPs are are that kind of stuff. Okay. And so now let's talk about my favorite acronym in statistics, BARTS. So I think it's still Osvaldo. So sorry, Ravin, if you want, you can leave the, the recording. <laughs> there are other questions for you afterwards. But yeah, so BARTS, can you tell us, so I think it's Osvaldo, but uh, Junpeng and Ravin, like really feel free to jump in. Can you tell us what they are? Same question, what they are? Yes. What are our strengths and what are our weaknesses? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like we really didn't talk at all about bots on the on the podcast yet. So okay, maybe we're gonna have an, a special episode of bots. <laughs> bots and friends. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfect. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> the idea is that you, you are going to, in parts, you are going to use uh, regression trees. You can see, think BART from the spline. So if you understand splines, understanding BART, is, is, there is a way from connecting spline to, to, to BART. That way is that when you um, fit the spline, as we say, we have this knot, and locally you fit something. With BART, what you fit is a, it's a constant, it's a line. Okay? So we in that domain, you, you say I'm going to return a, a single value. And then you have to choose this this node. And actually, that's that's the same as a regression tree. A regression a regression tree is a way to encode that. It's more convenient, but this is the same. Yeah, and it's easy to to move from from one dimension to to any di dimension. So in higher dimensions, it's like you are adding these cubes or rectangles or whatever they call in higher dimensions inside. Each of these partitions, you're going to return a, a single Wombat constant. So the good thing is that that trees are super flexible. The problem with trees is that they are they can easily uh, overfit. Yeah. So you can build if you you have a tree and you keep adding nodes. So if you keep growing this tree, you can fit basically any data you want with the tree. Uh, but again, it's not going to generalize very well. So the, the solution that parts provide is say, okay, I'm going to use trees because they are flexible, but I'm going to put priors over the trees in a way that I'm going to restrict those trees to be very shallow. So they are not going to be a lot of nodes inside that tree. And the result is that you, you get a tree that is very bad, a single tree that's very bad at fitting the data. So what do you do next? You say, okay, I'm going to sum over a number of, of trees, 50 trees, 200 trees, whatever. So I'm going the, the, my, the function that you're going to, to fit is going to be the sum of all these trees, okay? So in that way, you make this compromise of, okay, I, I have a model that is super flexible, but I, I put priors and I regularize this model in a way to, to control that flexibility in a way that's going to generalize well, or just spec at least that's going to generalize. So here, like we really see again, the, the regularization power of priors, basically. Like, yeah, also, like priors are not only to put prior knowledge, to input prior knowledge in, in, in models and tell us about credible parameter values, but also they are there to tell us about weird and, and impossible parameter values and, and do regularization, regularization. And so here, like again, that's that power that we see here in, in bots. And that makes me think what Elisaveta Semenova said, I think it was episode 21, about Bayesian, Bayesian neural nets. Neural nets tend to fit. And then when you have the Bayesian part, which are priors, that helps a lot with that overfitting problem. Yeah, it was the point I wanted to, to make. I'll probably add again that um, episode in the show notes with Lisa. And yeah, uh, then I'll let you uh, continue as well. Though. Yeah, I was saying that uh, these parts uh, models are this kind of more machine learning kind of models. But recently have been uh, papers studying the theoretical properties more from a statistical point of view and the, non the Bayesian non-parametric point of view of these kind of models and establishing connections to other models like GPs and studying the properties of when parts uh, provide good models and when not, and th that kind of thing that is, is, is super interesting because provides some theoretical guarantees that you can then use 
for be a little bit more sure when you are fitting your your models. One thing that is not very nice of ports is that you are, have to fit trees. Trees are very special kind of discrete objects, so it's <laughs> it's not very in general it's not very. You cannot use things like Hamiltonian Monte Carlo because you, you don't have gradients. So you have to use other approach, other samplers. So, for example, in PMC, we have a particular a sampler that is particularly tailored for the trees in BART. So it only works for the trees in, in BART. It doesn't work for anything else. And in PMC, we allow to we mix samplers. So the tree part is fit with this particular sampler. If you have other parameters that are continuous, you can use nuts or adaptively Hamiltonian Monte Carlo, as usual. So it's not uh, a problem. But that puts some constraint on the fit. So there is some people that is concerned about how well BART actually, similar to what happens with the Bayesian neural networks, not to that degree, but similar in the sense that, okay, maybe BART is, BART is overfitting and you are only finding this particular minima and that kind of things. But also one thing that, that BART ameliorates a little bit this, this problem is that the trees are very shallow. That makes a little bit simpler to sample from, from that, those kind of trees, but still. And at least in the, the literature, people usually talk very nice about BARTs because they, they say that in practice, they, they tend to, to work. So you run a BART and you get the result, and the result in general is, is at least reasonable. So there, there are these, these papers comparing, uh, we know it's very difficult to, to do this kind of benchmark, but there are these papers that compare BART with other models, generally BART have very good performance, even if you just run the part as is, without changing anything, without changing any of the hyperparameters, for example, like the number of trees, that's something you have to choose a priori. So it generally works, and people praise that part is something that generally works. Maybe there's a better model, maybe with a GP and a lot of effort, you get something that is more accurate or have better properties or stuff like that. But people say, okay, but with this, you can you can get a lot. And other base case scenarios, like where you would use BART, or are they very general? Like GPs, you can use that for a lot of models. Well, one thing with with uh, this part is that you get a black box. No? Sometimes with GPs, you can do a little bit, even if they are not non-parametric models, with GPs, you have some interpretability because you can build the, the GPs by adding GPs or, or stuff like that. With part, you get this very flexible model, but you you know that fits well or not, something like that. But mm -hmm. you say then it's very difficult to to interpret parts. So in the book, for example, we, we discuss a couple of, of way to to add some interpretation to parts. But there is no, it's actually not something restricted to part. It's just how to this this, this kind of tools to interpret any black box model. So that could be a problem. I mean, it's it's not that flexible. Compare, mm, okay. for example, to GPs, where mm. you, you can do this more modeling approach. With Paris, like, okay, you have this model. Having said that, I think that's also a part of, that's a reflection of the actual state of BART, at least partially. And the reason is that in the literature, BART are presented as these black box models. So they are not very well presented, like in a probabilistic programming language. In, in PyMC, what we have what we are trying to do is to have parts inside the probabilistic programming language so we can provide a little bit more flexibility. So in general, if you read uh, the literature about BART, you're going to see that there is going to be a, 
a particular sampler that is tailored when you have when you have parts and you have the um, the response is, is uh, continuous, so you put a Gaussian likelihood, and then you have to change your your BART model if you want to have a, a zero or one or multinomial or, or whatever. So in the literature, they are like different models with different often with different samplers. So it's very this machine learning approach to modeling. With PyMC, we are trying to build these BART models that are a little bit more flexible, so you can just so in, in a sense, BART is like a, is almost like a, a distribution. So you can mix BART distribution with other with other kind of, of distributions. It's still not super flexible at this point, but you can try different stuff. You, you can, for example, have a Gaussian likelihood or a Poisson likelihood or a negative binomial or whatever, and it's going to work. So I don't know. I think with, with a little bit more of, of work, BART are going to be I hope so, but but it's going to be a, a more use model and in this way, more flexible way of as a building block for other models, not as a model or a black box that is that you call with the function and that's it. But that of course need more coding and uh, probably a little bit more theory and practice and all that. Yeah, yeah, I'm very curious about bots because like I still have to understand like the the depth mm. of models you can you can use them for. I still, I still don't have a good intuition of like, okay, I've got these data and I've got these modeling structure, I think, and that's where a bot would be interesting. One problem that I forgot to mention <laughs> is that because <laughs> you're summing these constants, no? Because you have trees, so you have these constant functions. So these, these are stepwise functions. So actually your function is also the, 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 the function you are fitting is a stepwise, okay? So it's not smooth like in Gaussian processes. And some people can say, okay, but that's not very good function because things, most things in nature tend to be super smooth or at least tend to be to have some degree of smoothness and part are not very smooth. But nevertheless, because you are summing, you have to choose this, this the number of, of trees that you sum, generally 50 or 200, something like that. So you are summing, and then you also take in samples from the posterior, so you're averaging over this, the, the posterior samples. You get something that is is not a continuous function, but is generally is close to a continuous function. Thanks a lot for that um, that summary of parts. Definitely was challenging for you, I think. The ladies and gentlemen, Osvaldo Martin and Bartz, just right now happening in front of you, magistral class. So well done. And yeah, I encourage people to, to read that chapter if they are curious about that, because that's definitely a very new, very new feature, both in PyMC and, and in a book. So that's definitely, definitely something to, to check out. Uh, and I need personally to, to read it again. I read it when, when you guys asked me to review, but I still need to, to read it and, and may need to apply it. Basically. That's, that's where it sticks in your brain because you, bang your head against the wall with concrete problems. And that's how your brain learns, right? It's when it's painful that it, it, it stays there. Okay, that's great. I'm going to have to wake up Ravin from his nap <laughs> now. <laughs> and and uh, no, I think now that's your moment in the, in the sun because I want to ask you all, but probably maybe you, Ravin, because I, I know that that topic is, um, is important to you. 
what do you guys think are the biggest hurdles in the Bayesian workflow currently? Is that that's really a very active topic of, of research and applications in the Bayesian community that I see. And it's because there are hurdles. So what do you think are the biggest ones that needs to that need to be addressed? Well, I think one hard part about the Bayesian workflow is just how wide-ranging it is. As Junpeng mentioned really early on in this podcast, with the Bayesian paradigm, you get to choose what you want to do. There's a lot of flexibility to go here or go there. But that also means that you encounter different hurdles, right? So some people encounter one hurdle because they went on one path. Other people encounter another hurdle because they went on a different path. I remember when, at least when uh, I was brainwashed into frequential statistics early on in my career before I knew about Bayesianism, the benefit I'll give that is that everything is sort of packaged neatly and nicely light. With a, with a randomized controlled trial, you have the, way, the data collection mechanism, how you're supposed to collect it. And then you have the statistical technique to analyze that data. And then you have, the at least whether we agree with it or not, the way to interpret that particular outcome, that statistical model. They're all tightly coupled together and you get them with a package. Though with Bayesian statistics, you could start with observational data. You could start with randomized controlled data. You could start with time series data. There's so many different places to start that you first have to even figure out what is the question you're going to ask and get to it at the end to then figure out the data that you need and that's even before you get into the code. So one is just determining the path that you're going to take, I think, is the first hurdle that all Bayesians have to figure out. And then even once you're there, you have so many steps, right? There's the prior, there's the model definition, there's the sampling in and of itself, the black box magic of HMC and, and nuts and everything like that. There's the posterior, there's um, how you're going to display and show the results, and each one of those have their own nuances in them. So it's like in classic Bayesianism, I'll say there isn't one hurdle, but there's a distribution of hurdles. And depending on what you're where you're starting from, they're different for each person. And I think that's one thing that, that we talked about as well. Junpeng mentioned it's hard in a book because we, we try to show you some of the hurdles you run into, but it's hard to capture the freedom and artistic expressiveness in Bayes and what happens when you have happy mistakes, as Bob Ross likes to say quite often. Yeah. Junpeng, do, do you have any Anything to add on that? Yeah, actually, I I have one of the idea, kind of like a big bone to pick with our current patient workflow. To me, is that it's still a really strong focus on making one model work. To me, some of the difficulty that I could at work is that you have some model you did inference, and then you have new data comes in. Now, what do you do? And I think I share the frustration quite a lot over Twitter with some memes that. I think patient update in theory is such a beautiful thing, but in practice, it's just so difficult. And most of the time, you just end up training on the full data set or the, the newest data um, with some histories from scratch. And I think the workflow itself is it's kind of like capture almost everything in terms of how you improve a single model, but it does not have like that much, it, it does not provide that much information on how to do integrations over time. So it's like you if you follow the workflow right now, you quite likely can fit the data you have at hand. But what what are the strategy when you have new data? And what are the strategy that when those new data have new challenges? And how should you be modifying your model? How should you be integrating your posteriors and run new inference? I think those are relatively still unexplored idea for patient workflow. Yeah, I like that. And so I hope you guys are trying to are planning to work on that. 
<laughs> that leads me to another question I had that's related, but as people who work on patient stats almost on every aspect, because you use that in industry, you are also taking part in the research aspect of patient stats or pushing the, the boundaries. And you also use that so wait, did I say in industry? Yeah, I think I think I said so you use that in industry, you're also part of the of the research community and pushing the, the frontier. And you are of course open source developers, so like making the tools that help people use and make patient models. So you have that, let's say, different hands. So I'm curious about what you think the future of patient stats look like to you. And more specifically, what you what would you like to see? And what would you like to not see like in Bayesian stats in the coming years? For me, this is pretty easy. I think I'd like to see more people use Bayesian stats. So I think my training is in mechanical engineering and we're taught a lot of frequential stats, but it's now very apparent to me that Bayesian stats is quite applicable in that area as well. So it'd be nice to see more people be taught that or use that or incorporate the techniques rather than just going to certain pre-can techniques. And the thing I don't want to see, though, is people have to spend a year or two being confused before it all clicks together. So I'm really hoping in the future, a new undergrad or somebody in industry or researcher decides they want to learn Bayesian stats or ideally is presented with Bayesian stats as part of their normal curriculum in college. And they don't have to spend hours banging their head or weeks banging their head against the wall to figure out all these little pieces between the theory and the code and the samplers and divergences and everything like that. I think that the, the first time I, I saw that was when I was doing bioinformatics. It was this proliferation of tools that make super easy to do stuff. And I was happy, but then I started seeing a, a lot of misuse of that tools. And nowadays, uh, you can read a lot of people saying that, okay, Bayesian statistics is conceptually simple, but if you want to do an actual modeling, it's super complex. You have to know all the theory and you have to go super deep into all this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's like in a kind, they are like putting a, they are gatekeepers because I think this, while I agree, that's true. I think the solution is building tools so people can easily use Bayesian statistics, not get confused. Ryan said, but have these tools in a way that the, the tools helps people to prevent them to, to make mistakes. So uh, I, I, that's something I would like to see more in the future in, in Bayesian statistical tools is this kind of tools that help you, for example, with help you doing prior elicitation and help you doing uh, checking the sensitivity of the prior, helping you reporting the results, all these kind of, of tools that makes easier for the practitioner to do patient statistics and do it in a way that he or she is not making mistake or at least his, his uh, mistakes or errors are, are clear and more transparent. That's something that I, I would like to, to see. And the good thing is that I see that that's something is happening. We are, we are still early, but I, now we have this, this discussion you now of the patient workflow and we can see this more and more, the discussion of the Bayesian workflow. And I think part of the Bayesian workflow is uh, discussion is, is about this, yeah. how we can do this iteratively modeling in a safe way, in a way that is not going to bite us. Yeah, and to me, I would love to see more in patient decision making and decision theory in general using the result of, of posterior. So I think we have a beautiful things that is the posterior samples, but actually how to use it to make decisions 
I still don't see that quite a lot in the industry, in day-to-day decisions. I think more focus on that would be great because um, I personally still haven't got a good hand on it or how to how to really quantify your loss functions, how to communicate that to, to your stakeholders, to your people, to your person you work with. And I think I'm looking forward to see more efforts on that and more progress on that. And in terms of things I really don't want to see, it's just, yeah, patient arguing with frequency state on any kinds of topic, basically. We should be well past p-value at this point. So let's just kind of like, yeah, focus on the things that we want to work on i.e. patient decision uh, theories. Yeah, so that's the kind of, of things you, you'd like to see, right? Is there something you would like to not see? <laughs> like a direction you think the patient world should not, should not take? The kind of like too much hang up on those easy topics to argue with other, um, uh, with frequency, right? such as p-values and stuff. Right? To me, it's, um, it's starting to feel like a waste of energy. Because a lot of points already been said and been said well, and so it's just rehashing. I see. That being said, what do you think of p-value? <laughs> <laughs> it's great if you're flipping a coin, but uh, I don't know when's the last time I flip a coin. So <laughs> we actually worked really hard not to have any coin flipping examples in the book. I I actually had one there uh, yeah. at the beginning, and then I was told to take it out. So what did you choose, choose instead? <laughs> what did you flip instead? <laughs> a bottle. <laughs> but we, we, we have a better binomial model, but we don't flip anything. <laughs> yeah, we, and, and I think it, it changes one to the rolling a dice, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a multinomial. <laughs> no, because it's a two-sized dice. So. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun to size to size it dies. So yeah, okay, that's good. Um, I I didn't know you had that that example, and you we tried to to get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> like to me, uh, when when teaching stats, one of the hardest things is um, coming up with good examples, and especially good data sets. That's always always very hard. Okay, I think I have time for one more question before before the last two questions. Let's say that people have read your book understood everything because it's written very well, so they have no questions anymore. Like, is there a method or resource that you think would be useful for listeners once they write your book or an action that they should take once they write your book? Well, one thing is I hope people don't just read the book, right? We really try and emphasize that people go to the code and run the book on the notebooks and things like that. So if you just read the book, you're missing out on Almost the entire point of the book. The whole point is and computation and hands-on. And Ideally, it's many different PPL. So do it in Pyro, do it in, in Julia. Yeah. Yeah, because then you will encounter the different bugs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, we really just want people to take away the confidence to apply Bayesian models uh, in real life with computation, right? So they could sit down, they have some decision they need to make, like Junpeng said, or some analysis they need to run, and they feel confident they can go to their collab environment or their computer and write a Bayesian model. Think through the whole workflow, right? Write a Bayesian model, know what model to use, know what the divergences or, or diagnostics and things that are coming out of the libraries are telling them, and then and then be able to present those results with confidence wherever they are being presented, whether it's a paper or at work or something like that. Okay, yeah, I definitely second that um, that statement. I think the, the day I decided to do all the exercises in 
in Richard McElroy's uh, statistical rethinking and, and port that to PyMC was, was a very good decision in my life. Uh, <laughs> that's really when I, I started job starting my, my learning. Also because Osvaldo and Ravin were there on the PyMC resources repo telling me, you should do that that way. Uh, oh, here you have the shape <laughs> issue. You should ask Chunpeng on the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you'd like to add, uh, Chunpeng and Osvaldo, before we close up about that, or you good? No, no, I think that Ravin does say the, the key point of the book. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, before I move to the last question, though, I have an important one. Um, whose hand is it on the cover of the book? <laughs> who's got a butt? Robot hand of, of Thomas Bayes <laughs> from, from the, oh, yeah, yeah. the heavens. It's the bionic arm. So I was like, either one of you is Iron Man or the Winter Soldier. So I'm like, I didn't know that. And I want, I want to know. I can brag about that, but apparently not. Damn. I am disappointed. <laughs> okay, so let's go to the last questions now. But I have some tricks up my sleeves because you guys already answered the last two questions. So you're not going to fool me. So I have another one for you, which is if you had a superpower. Oh, and look at that segue. I was talking about Iron Man and Winter Soldier. And now we're talking about superpower. Oh, wow, <laughs> I should have my own podcast. It's, it's really good. <laughs> so if you had a superpower... What would it be? And no, you cannot answer teleportation. Is that's too easy? Mm. Eat everything I want without any repercussion. <laughs> yeah, you can do anything. Eat everything I want. That's eat my everything. superpower. Yeah, I want to eat the stuff. Okay, but wait, <laughs> without the repercussions on your body—that's what you mean. Yeah, in general, without any repercussion. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, even on your work. Yeah, because if yeah. you spend your days. Eating, indeed, you cannot do anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Wow, <laughs> where are all those energy go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer. That's a very weird superpower. <laughs> you would be a super eater. Yeah, like the, the, if, I don't know. I don't know if you could join the Avengers. <laughs> Maybe they, they would try. They would find something for you. <laughs> okay, Ravin, Junpeng. What's your superpower? I think for me would be controlling magnet. I want to be Magneto. You would want to be? I, I didn't hear. Control magnet. Ah, Magneto. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Magneto, yeah. But wait, if there are two Magnetos, who is controlling who? Can you control the real, like the original Magneto? Or I'm pretty sure I'm you? replacing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see that fight. <laughs> Ravin, so the last one on the line. Oh, easiest one. I'm surprised neither the other two said that. I just want to know every outcome with 100% certainty. Future vision. Then you could, you, exactly. You could bet on horses and get rich. You could win at, <laughs> at uh, blackjack. It's weird that the first thing you would do would be just you to just, bet on the horses. Seems a bit Yeah, I want to know if my Uber Eats order is going to be on time. <laughs> Really hungry. That's it. Very important. There are there are actual Bayesian solving that yeah. problem that we know in real life. So don't don't no, uh, no, I, don't diminish I, I'm that. Not, but they are not omniscient. Like, the point is that if you're omniscient and that's your first order of business, it's interesting. You can do better. Okay, so awesome. I think we can call it a day or a show. But I think it's going to be a very popular episode. So there is something I actually want to try before leaving you guys. And it's Alexa, play good Bayesian. Okay, so probably somewhere Alexa is, is in, a, in a listener's house. It's probably playing good Bayesian right now. It's not in yours, 
currently, <laughs> which would have been awesome, but probably in a listener's house. So please, if that happened to you, hit me on Twitter and, and, and thank me and Baba Brinkman for that moment. <laughs> okay, so that's out of the way. And on that note, I want to thank you a lot, Junpeng, Ravin Osvaldo, to have come again on the show. Again, the book is fully available online at the link that you'll have in the show notes. If you want a physical copy because you like, you love those guys and you want to support them, go to CRC website and enter the code FMQ13 at checkout for a 20% discount. Even better, if you are a patron of Learn-Based Dance, you can enter a random draw contest where the winners will get a physical copy of the book for free. So, of course, if you want to become a patron, that is your moment. And then you'll integrate the Slack channel and you'll get all the details on how to enter that context test here. As usual, there will be resources in the show notes for those who want to dig deeper. Thank you again, Junpeng, Osvaldo, Ravin, for taking the time and being on this show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This has been another episode of Earning Patient Statistics. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher or on Podchaser, and visit learnbasedstats.com for more resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes that will help you reach true patient state of mind. That's learnbasedstats.com. Our theme music is Good Patient by Baba Brinkman with MC Lars and Megaran. Check out his awesome work at bababrinkman.com. I'm your host, Alex Endora. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Endora, like the country. You can support the show and unlock exclusive benefits by visiting patreon.com slash learnbasedstats. Thanks so much for listening and for your support. You're truly a... Good Bayesian, and change your predictions after taking information in. And if you're thinking I'll be less than amazing, let's adjust those expectations. Let me show you how to be a good Bayesian. Change calculations after taking fresh data in. Those predictions that your brain is making. Let's get them on a solid foundation.